I honestly can't tell you how excited I am for today's guest. It's Meredith O'Shaughnessy. If you've ever wanted to pick the brain of a CEO and entrepreneurial powerhouse, this is the episode for you. She gives us her advice for anybody starting a business, top tips on creativity, and not to mention a tale behind how she set up her exclusive Christmas rage room. I can't wait for you all to hear her mind-blowing stories. Please join me in welcoming Meredith to the podcast. Also, just to add, we are filming this remotely, so please forgive any noise disturbances and the fact that my laptop occasionally sounds like it's going to explode. She's at your back and call when you're taking the liberty. Yes, you're taking the liberty when you're talking with liberty. Meredith, I am delighted to have you here. You're a self-proclaimed entrepreneurial wizard, and rightly so. I have so many questions about your phenomenal career, so thank you for joining. My absolute pleasure, yeah. Wizard, it wasn't it wasn't actually self-proclaimed. Um it was one of my one of my team a while ago. We were making business cards back when people used to give these things out and she said to me, uh, what should I put on your business card as your job title? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know, just put what you like. And they came back from the printers and they said CEO and wizard and it stuck. And it, Fabulous. It, every time I give my business card to anyone, whatever, wherever they are, whoever they are, they always take one look at the business card, look down and see the wizard and look up at me and go, wizard. But it sparks a conversation and there's something there about um, being unique or having your own, creating your own identity, which I think is really interesting. Absolutely. It's a great way to start a conversation. But I think there's so many strings to your bow that you basically are a wizard. I <laughs> agree with your colleague. <laughs> we actually met a few years ago whilst I was at your Macaron Masterclass press event pretending I wasn't a chef. Oh, you was, it was such a delight to meet you. So you, you met us at the KitchenAid. We were doing an ooh-la-la pop-up at the KitchenAid store. And um, it, was, it was just, you were such a joy. And so it's such a pleasure to be able to come on your podcast today and, and speak to kind of your listeners and have a chat with you. And especially after such a tough year for everybody, it's, it's really lovely that mm-hmm. people are creating and being positive and thinking you know, of all the things that we can be doing and the, and, and the things we can be bringing Absolutely. into this world. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and you've brought so many amazing things into this world. Like, as soon as I met you, I just knew there was so much I wanted to learn. You're just so fascinating. <laughs> thank you. So am I right in saying that the basis of your workload um, is being the director for your creative strategy agency, Meredith Collective, along with being the amazing owner? of a bespoke macaron company oh la la so many strings to your bow yeah I mean I think it's when I first started kind of explaining what I do um it it, people seemed quite confused at the idea of kind of experiential or experiences slash events on one side and then the other side effectively what is a a food food company um but actually it's really all about kind of creativity and detail and and thinking about bringing unique things into the world and um i read a quote actually this morning about you know really successful people are the people that pay attention to the details and when you're creating a macaron which is kind of four centimeters across and you're trying to make that the best possible version of that macaron it can be and you're embellishing it with gold leaf and you're painting it it's 
really the same skill as when you're trying to build a unique experience and you're thinking about a four meter wide chandelier you're creating and you're worrying about every little bit of the crystal that goes into that it's just different scales of the same thing so that's so true yeah that's how i see what it a wonderful way to look at detail and precision and because i think sometimes we think about the bigger things and the big picture but it's good to scale it back down and think how can I make this perfect yeah so my background is hospitality I started off working well I started off doing an engineering degree and then started working <gasps> nightclubs um so it's a an interesting bl blend of problem solving and then also being enraptured when I came to London with mm -hmm. kind of nightlife and and going out and I I think I I carved a path between those two elements um, yeah, absolutely. Much to my parents' horror at the time, because they thought I'd kind of given up on engineering, which I effectively had, and, and run off and started working in clubs. Do you think what you learned from doing engineering has helped you? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't... I, if I'm really honest, I didn't turn up for very much of my university lectures, but I think that what drew <laughs> me to, to that is this idea of... I love fixing things. I love, I love, and a small example is uh, one of our um, air guns that we spray the macarons with broke the other day. And the team were like, oh no, we need it. And I, I'm like, right, I love this. So I'm like in there fixing it, Problem pulling solver. it apart, um, you know, solving. Yeah. And, and I think there's something about that that I, that's what really drives me. And then also thinking about with it, it and then kind of overlaying the idea of understanding what emotionally people want. And that in itself is a problem. How do you create environments that people are interested in and engaged in and are delighted by? And I think so it's a, a wanting to bring joy to the world while solving problems. Uh, yeah, and you found the most perfect combination of both of them. <laughs> Circling back, you said that you worked in nightclubs. Mm. That must have really affected how you progressed in events because you've seen it from every stage. Where did you start from so, in a nightclub? There used to be, and I'm older than you, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, there used to be a big club behind uh, King, what is now Granny Square in London. Um, there used to be a club there called Bagley's that was in a big warehouse. Amazing. And when you look back, you know, on the days when we'd spend more time on Facebook, there would always be the list of, you know, the, the big five clubs of, of the noughties. And you, they'd do, people reminisce, I worked in four of those. So Incredible. And then I moved from working in Bagley's on a Saturday night. So I was, I was working there while I was at university on, on a Saturday. What were you doing there? So I was selling membership in the garage room. Oh, I don't amazing. even know. <laughs> so brilliant. So, just really random but going to university and then I and then I started working I moved across to working at Heaven nightclub and I was doing the door of the VIP at Heaven nightclub um and uh I then worked at places like the Roof Gardens which doesn't exist anymore as a club manager there and the VIP um area of Cap de Paris and so there's there really isn't a celebrity I haven't looked after or tried to hand a canapé to at some point in my life and you could tell a lot about people and humanity about how they treat someone who's trying to give them free food and <laughs> absolutely yes I've done countless waitressing jobs and you just know you just know so I think that gave me a really um good understanding of what people wanted to do and how they wanted to spend their time because with a lot of the venues that I worked in on the weekend they were kind of open for pleasure so people would pay 20 pounds to come mm -hmm. in and they'd spend a lot of money on champagne and drinks and then 
on the weekdays we would have more corporate style events and and you couldn't give the food away on the corporate events you couldn't engage people in the same way and they were fundamentally missing this emotional connection of desire and delight and I found that a really interesting kind of problem to solve really when you're thinking about events and during that time when I was working in clubs I was working mostly on the weekends and in the evenings and so I was also learning how to do other things I would go um, to college and I went to London College of Fashion and I learned how to make shoes so I've made I can I can like design and pattern cut and make shoes I learned how to make jewelry and that would help with your creativity as well oh that as well so I think it was very much about for me always being endlessly curious or endlessly understanding how things work and always thinking about what can I be learning about how things are made and created and stuff like that so that was pretty much my career and then I stopped working clubs and set up what was an events agency. I moved quite quickly out of traditional events. So I know that lots of people want to go into events and actually it's quite a broad subject. So you think about the different things you could be doing for events. And I evolved into thinking about kind of really high level creative complex events is essentially what I do. And now I mostly work on kind of semi-permanent activations that are open for more than one for kind of a period of time wonderful okay and how did you progress from working in these clubs and having these amazing ideas about what they could do to starting your own company so I got fired um (laughs) that'll do it that'll spark you into doing something (laughs) and I stood on the street in it was just off Oxford Street and I um and I just thought, I'm a totally unemployable. I, I don't really know what I'm going to do. And mm. I, at the time, there was a club called Bungalow A, which was run by the amazing Amy Sacco, who has become a dear, dear friend of mine. And I went to her and she said, well, why don't you do yeah. some nights for me? You can kind of host a Thursday night. So I set up Meredith O's private parlour parties and you're going to love this. Fabulous. I, How exclusive. <laughs> and I had all female DJs and I, I made cupcakes and I'd hand out cupcakes to the people. That, that's my kind of party. I love And I this. had all these celebrities would come to this. So we had like Michael Fassbender and all these like, Incredible. just like crazy, crazy, crazy people coming. And I, and me handing out these cupcakes that I don't know. I was just like, oh, why not? Like, let's just do this at 3am um off the back of that i then met and was very lucky to then be employed by people like christina blanick who's the ceo of manolo blanick and other people that worked in companies like lulu guinness and i did an event for the russian space federation so i kind of yeah it's just it, it sounds mad but I think that for a piece of advice I guess for me it was about being positioning myself in the right place and actually thinking about who who did I want to have in my network Mm -hmm. and who did I want to have around me and not being afraid to just say yes to things absolutely and making connections and speaking to people do you have any tips on making connections so if you do meet someone influential especially in the industry 
how do you reach out and meet people and form long-lasting connections? I think for me, it's really important, you know, having met a lot of celebrities, it's like you don't want to just throw yourself upon somebody and be like, pay me attention. Nobody no, wants that. The wrong kind of attention. <laughs> the wrong kind of attention. I think you need to focus on doing what you're doing to a high standard, you know. It's about thinking about bringing mm-hmm. value to the, to the conversations that you're having with people because people will notice you if you you know work hard and are passionate about what you're doing I mean very much like you know with the work that you do it's so enticing because you can see that you love it and you can see that you care and you can see that you're um really you bring real joy to to kind of talking about you know baking and that's so kind thank you do you find that people respond to people so if you're more personable people will have that effect absolutely and you don't need to it never works to go out and say to people kind of like look at me look at me look at me what it what (laughs) what you should be doing is is focusing on what is in front of you and doing it really 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 well and people will notice that and being nice you know like I think just that that idea of you know be be pleasant (laughs) really helps (laughs) because it's surprising how many people in this world that aren't that you just being nice will put you a lot further in this life yeah I mean I learned a lot again going back to kind of working nightclubs you learn a lot when people are trying Mm -hmm. to get into somewhere so you know I I did a lot of work in VIPs for instance and what you would get is you the difference between people that would come in and act like they had a right to be in there and you you would just be like no I'm sorry you you can't come in here and then someone who was just really sweet and was like oh you know it would it be possible and is it okay and they would stand out a mile because they were so different from everybody else because they were really kind of charming and humble and and nice about it and I think this idea that everybody needs to be really pushy to get somewhere actually it isn't true people just want to be around people that are and nice to work with and do a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something to be said for not having to be pushy and not having to, because I think when people think about getting into a career and especially a career that isn't necessarily an easy path in, they think you have to push and that you have to be in front of all the right people. I mean, you do, but there's a way around that, clearly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think location, for me, location really helped. So, you know, being in London, mm-hmm where it's like there's it's it's a kind of very busy environment and also I think if you work in an office for instance then you have may have a slightly smaller range of people that you get get to have contact with but if you're working in somewhere like a nightclub environment then often you have a real you you meet many many more people so I guess my advice would be go and do things which are slightly unusual go Mm -hmm. and have hobbies go and meet people who are different ages go and do things which just take you away from your immediate circle because opportunities open up when you move yourself out of where you are and start engaging with new people. Yeah, just saying yes and pushing yourself out of that comfort zone. I was actually just saying before this, if you don't get that like nervous energy, I feel like you're doing something wrong. I feel like I'm never pushing myself until I feel those butterflies. Yeah, and I also think that, I know it's, it, it's really safe, but kind of not having a fear of failure because I mean, I wouldn't advise someone to go and give someone brain surgery if they hadn't done the training. But running events isn't, you know, actually what it, it's going to be OK. You know, it's it, we get things wrong and actually having taking a bit of chance on yourself. So when 
I set up Ooh La La, which was, at first it was set up as a macaron and martini making workshop. So it wasn't actually, we didn't sell the macarons. And that was because I made everything myself in my own oven, in my own mm-hmm. kitchen, which wasn't... Such a talent. It wasn't even working. Well, I... So... I didn't know how to make macarons when I set up the company and I taught myself how to do it. And This is incredible. <laughs> See, you can do just about anything. If you think if you think up an idea, it just shows that you can really just do it. Well, I think that for me, I believe that you can learn a lot from books and now the, obviously the internet <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, the, people really uh, share a lot of information. So I, I was really, really, really broke. I was like so, so broke. I'd been fired. I had mm-hmm. no money. I hadn't saved any cash. It was kind of really, it was quite challenging. And I, and I had worked for a company te- teaching people about chocolate. They had hired kind of out of work actors and actresses yeah. and they taught them a script about chocolate. And so <sighs> I, I had worked there for a while and I, I, I was a bit like, I need to do something. I need to make some really immediate money. I thought the next thing, like cupcakes have been done quite a lot. I mean, they're amazing, but they've been quite done quite a lot. And I came, I was getting off a, a coach at Notting Hill. So um, I'd gone home to, to Oxford to see my family. And I um, was getting off a coach and I saw this bookshop and in the, in the front mm-hmm. door of the bookshop was a book on macarons. And I was like, oh, macarons so are the next yeah. thing. Oh, so, you can just foresee the future. <laughs> Trailblazer. This is 2013. So I basically bought the book. Do you remember who it was by? I have it somewhere. I can't remember who it was by. It was out of blue cover. But it was like, it was a, it was a great, great book. And I basically um, bought it home and I started making macarons. And I, they were truly terrible. They were flat. They were like, they looked like amoebas. <laughs> it was so awful. We've all been there. Uh, but I kept going and I basically um, went to somebody I knew that had an alcohol company and I said to them, I'm going to set up these macaron and martini making workshops and they're going to be the next big thing. Can you give me some money and mm-hmm. I'll put your, I'll give you a page on a website. And they were like, and you can sponsor me yeah. for the next six months. So they gave me a load of stock and I used the money that they gave me, which it wasn't, I mean, it was like 600 pounds or 700 pounds or something Incredible. to buy the equipment to do the workshop because I didn't have enough money to do that. And I built the website myself using like Weebly or something at the time and paid someone like £70 to give me a logo. And and I sold the first workshop to friends and family at half price. I think it was like £30 or something mm-hmm. and it was sold out. And the basis of that workshop is still the basis of the workshop that we use all these years later that is super successful, super popular. I wrote the script and I thought, well, you know what, if... If it's just a script, if you're just learning a thing and you put some showmanship into it. If you say anything with enough confidence, people believe you. Yeah, I mean, you have to learn these things. You know, you have to study. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I made a lot of macarons. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. (laughs) But that's so incredible. We're investors, so clearly you had some backing and people believed in you and that was also who you knew. Do you think that they're an important aspect and do you have any tips for somebody that wants to approach that area of growing their business okay so I they weren't investors they were I got them to give me sponsorship no 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 and I think it's a it's a different it's interesting thing because I think that there's this perception that one needs investors to start a business Mm -hmm. and I've never taken investment on so I bootstrapped everything I've done and amazing what therefore happens is maybe the perception of the growth rate is is lower but 
bearing in mind I'm setting up these jobs and upskilling myself while I'm doing it. Absolutely. And I feel like if I'd taken on a ton of money at the beginning of like my kind of career trajectory that actually I probably would have lost most of it at the beginning because I didn't I had to kind of go through that trial and error and I I have a lot of people I know that have taken on money and have had real challenges and had to answer to somebody else because they mm-hmm. had their money and I just think it's really important for people to feel like they can start something without a lot of money. I think it's really important that people understand there's so many businesses, especially something like events, where you can actually, you don't, you don't, I still have a home office. I I won Best Home Business in 2014 at the Startup Awards. So incredible. Like now everyone has a home office, right? Because we've been in a pandemic, but back then it was kind of novel. But I just think, what do I care about? Do I care about having a big office or do I care about doing really incredible events? Yes. I care about doing really incredible events. Of course, because you can just (laughs) tell. I can just tell by the way you're speaking that you care so much about events and your business and I love the idea that it wasn't about... It's never been about the money. It's about making people happy through your events and your lovely macarons. Yeah, Particularly for women, I think it's really, really important to say you must be properly mm-hmm. paid for the work you do. And I and I oh, and, and you know, one you're and charging out to clients is a very different thing. And I think that sometimes we feel like we shouldn't charge because we you know, we're starting out or something like that. And I and I think it's really important. So one piece of advice I'd always give to people is that there's some amazing free resources out there for people that are thinking starting their own business and Mm -hmm. the British Library Business Centre were incredible I went there I went to free networking events I got on they have a um, government funded program where you can get like training on how to set up a business you can go and get advice on um, intellectual property you can real really good networking they do like speed networking and stuff like that and that's incredible absolutely if you're starting business and I know that they have all over the country there's different kind of local parts of the British Library Business Centre and they all feed into one another and then on top of that then there's other they will advise you on other pots of money that you can access which is a training pots of money and so I really I kind of was like I've worked in clubs I don't really know how to run a business so I have to learn Mm-hmm. And so I went out and I learned how to do it. That's such a wonderful way that you look at life. You say the macarons, you learn how to make them and you wanted to run a business, so you learn. Nothing comes without you having to have that knowledge. It's really hard work. <laughs> I, I can imagine, but it's, it what seems worthwhile. For people that, you know, there's all sorts of different types of businesses out there. There's ones which are kind of side hustles uh there's ones which are um something that you might want to do you know you might want to grow Mm -hmm. and sell there's you know amazing books that i can recommend like um build to sell if you want to set up a business that you want you know all these different uh, like resources and and there's loads of places you can look for those sorts of things but really thinking about who you are as a person how do you want to be living your life you know for me it's it's such a thrill to wake up every single day and be speaking to interesting people and designing new things and being able to employ people and you know contribute to the economy and all all of that for me is is a real thrill but you can have a really wonderful fulfilling career doing it yourself 
So for somebody just starting out and they decide that they want a job in creative marketing or events, what are the first few steps that you would give them? I mean, there isn't probably a finite path that they can go down, but what would you recommend? Like people are very interested in kind of getting into this kind of career and I don't feel like I had a traditional way in, but I think that having a real hands-on experience is super important. Anyone that I've ever employed, so I've employed quite a, a few people that have been kind of paid on paid internships and then have been trained up and some of them stayed on and some of them have gone on to other really amazing jobs and they really have sought me out and, and sought out to work for for my company in particular and they've seen events that we've done and and I think that's always really stood out to me and I don't believe that you need a kind of a degree in event management what you need is a is a passion to be able to you know work hard and put in long hours unfortunately because that's just the way it is yeah. but if you love it then yeah there's also an opportunity at the moment for people that are able to bring additional skill sets so if you're able to learn you know photoshop and an adobe suite and things like that mm -hmm. then actually that also gives you an in because you're coming in and you're showing that you've trained up and you know also thinking about kind of events you want to do there's a real range from kind of the immersive creative stuff at one end which kind of almost could be more theatrical going right through to hybrid events and digital events and and the more organizational side of things so thinking about being honest with yourself about like what what are your true skills yeah and what skills would you suggest what what do you think might put somebody to stand out in the industry i mean organization is kind of one of the key ones being able to retain a lot of information in your mind and being able to then kind of draw on that as and when is required i think is, yeah. is a very useful skill people skills obviously incredibly important because you're dealing with lots of different people empathy is a really important skill because people get a lot of my clients are incredibly nervous a lot of the time they have a lot of anxiety about what you're creating and they really worry um about the delivery of things and I think that having an ha being empathetic towards their needs is also an is super super important I would say those are the main skills everything else you can learn <laughs> clearly as you have demonstrated so perfectly <laughs> I feel like the whole basis of this is well I mean creativity creative agency um which is wonderful and you work for so many brands and so many amazing events where do you get your inspiration from? Because you do run so many amazing events and they're all so conceptually so different. Where do you get your inspiration? Um, inspiration is, it kind of comes naturally to people that, that think in, in that way. Um, but what, one of the things I think are really important, again, is about um, exposing yourself to lots of different um inputs so when you're thinking about media you're consuming or what films you watch or what theater you go to or mm -hmm. where you walk every day and things like that and having inspiration i mean really inspiration and creativity is about putting concepts together uh, in a new way um, as Steve Jobs always said, that creative people don't think they're creative because they 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 see they've seen these ideas and they just come together. Absolutely. And so, for instance, when I built 
the world's first avocado only restaurant where every dish had avocado yes. in it people were like it almost felt like that should have already existed they were like why doesn't this exist and it's like well because no one's kind of put those two ideas together and and been like right okay i'm gonna i'm gonna launch this i'm gonna make this happen what are some of the other events that i'd love to know what are some of your favorite ones you've put on my first kind of pop-up that i did which ran for 21 days was called nordic yule fest um and it was a scandinavian christmas pop-up um, where I built an enchanted forest into an attic in Shoreditch and I had imps coming down from the ceiling, acrobats, stealing food off the That's table amazing. while they were eating. And I parked the Scandinavian restaurant and we did like a rolling feast and we had like, um, sorry for the vegetarians, but we had like reindeer and all sorts of really interesting things that amazing. we, elk and... And then I created something called Dirty Laundry, which was... Um, a vintage laundromat where I converted washing machines into cocktail makers and I had this cast of characters and um the idea there was I was really interested in the idea of like washing away your sins and how could you like and so I had I had this amazing um Senorina Bubbles we called her this amazing woman that was dressed up in the it's like we got a um a 1950s costumer to kind of dress all the, all the cast. She ran around and got everyone to go, like give their confessions. And then she stood up and announced everyone. I mean, it, and we had like, we filled up a, like a flash bottle, which we obviously emptied out and cleaned. It was like an empty one that, with alcohol. And there was, she was spraying in people's mouth. I mean, it was mental. This is genius. I'd love to be in your brain. This is amazing. I think it's like thinking about ideas and then taking them to their absurd conclusion. Sorry, there's someone shouting outside, but um, they <laughs> clearly wants to be on the yeah, podcast. <laughs> the joys of recording in central London. But I think that it is this idea of taking things to their absurd conclusion. So thinking about what if I added this and what if I added that and what if I added that and actually just pushing those ideas even further, mm-hmm. you know, just keeping going with them. I created the world's first and only Christmas rage room where you could go and smash christmas decorations up to length of your worst or best christmas song this um, is incredible <laughs> indoor alcoholic snowstorm uh, i did as well i was like an indoor alcoholic snow so the snow was made of so the way so with that it was year three of nordic your fest and we needed a new hook because we felt like the press had kind of like we hadn't weren't giving we needed new content to get the pr behind it and so i spoke to a friend of mine who's works in the alcohol industry and we were like oh yeah we could just do something where we create indoor alcoholic snow and so the idea came first and then we back worked a solution and what we ended up doing was getting confetti a rice paper cut into confetti which is incredibly expensive um, <laughs> sometimes when you have these ideas you're like oh wait a minute that was like this and you're like no so we, we uh, had rice paper cut into the shape of snowflakes and then we infused it with bitters and put it into a glitter cannon and shot it out of a glitter cannon and everyone held up their cocktail glasses and the rice paper fell into their cocktail, diffused the, their bitters into the cocktail. This is incredible. Oh my gosh. When I talk about what I do now, it really is more of, they, they are spectacles. They are like these quite yeah. you know, immersive experiences. So theatrical. But I, but you know, going back to the point where they now they do cost a lot of money, but they 
they didn't at the beginning and something like the Christmas Rage Room, I self-funded that. So I didn't have any investment or anything for that. And it wasn't, I just did it for one day, but my my plan was to see what was the minimum I could do to get the maximum amount of press. And amazing. I it got picked up by Sky News and then broadcast around the world. And so my family were watching the news in New Zealand and I was on a minute and a half news segment wearing wearing felt reindeer horns <laughs> and like really cheap like you know one of the ones with the little lights that flash little cheap yeah and a, and a red boiler suit you know when they're like paper boiler suits that you buy if you're like paying your paying wall I think it was like a four pound boiler suit off like eBay or something and also because they they have no shape right so it's sitting out so it looked like some sort of red <laughs> reindeer moomin and I was like on this and I'm like, I think it got, I mean, it got seen, it got broadcast all up and down America. It basically went viral, this kind of... It's, it's the most incredible idea. But I mean, like, really think about what you're going to wear if you're going to get that much press. Did you foresee, I mean, clearly didn't foresee that happening. It kind of, at the time, I mean, this is how budget it was. I didn't pay like a host, a hoster. I hosted it myself. So I built it that morning. And I'd created this entire narrative. It was called Rudolph's Rage Room. And the idea was that mm-hmm. Rudolph the reindeer was really upset because the other reindeers weren't pulling their weight. And Mrs. Claus was having an affair with one of the elves. And Mr. Claus was drinking too much. And so he'd created this... This is the best backstory. <laughs> Amazing. I'm in, I'm in the bazaar. Yeah. And so, and, Mr., and so Rudolph had created this rage room to come and let out his rage so that he didn't get angry with everyone. And actually he could let out his rage and then deliver the best Christmas ever. And so people would come behind this curtain and I'd bought these kind of Christmas trees, which I'd lugged down from Columbia Road flower market on my own. And we decorated with like loads of decorations from Poundland and, and I lined the walls with, wall, with wrapping paper. And so the people come around and discuss this thing and we'd have to get them to put on like protective gear. So they'd have to put on like a hat and glasses and put on like a jumpsuit yeah. and then we'd give them baseball bats and then I'd ask them what song they want so I'd tell them this story while this was going on and, and get them in the like in the mood for the moment and and then they would smash up the Christmas trees which and people Jeez. can't hit very hard so they couldn't really break the Christmas trees not that much damage <laughs> no, really not at all and it, and so it was kind of like I was there and it, they were it was amazing how much joy it brought people to just have smash that something. just smash something but not even be able to smash it that hard <laughs> so that's why i was wearing the reindeer ears because it was part of the like the story <laughs> incredible that just shows that you can build an idea by yourself and put it all the way into fruition and it'd be such a success yeah and i think it's really important i just i people are so creative and they have so many ideas inside their head and you know your friends and family will you know support you and you can try things out on them and you can you know if you want to set up that kind of brownie company do it but you know think about how you can be different from other people think about what you're doing don't just be somebody else you know if you're going to set up a brownie company make it a blue brownie company make it a make it something that is unique to you and special and something you haven't seen before because that's how you stand out and you can start small and and grow it doesn't need to be everything doesn't need to be a billion dollar business overnight that just isn't the world but take like the beautiful company of Olala who you started as a not even selling macarons Mm. and then uh, am I right in saying that they got 
picked up New York Fashion Week for Manolo. Yeah, so I flew to New that York to to make um, macarons for Manolo Blahnik's New York show, which was the only time they'd ever done a, a show in New York. And it was, even that was like, at the time, it's like I didn't really have a proper kitchen and the, I'd taken my mixer with me, my hand mixer to make the macarons. And then it was like, the, it, America's on a different phase. So the, the, the mixer didn't work properly. And I was like, <laughs> it was February and it was freezing cold and all the ingredients are called different things in America. They're like, so you can't get, you know, ground almonds or almond flour. And it's like oh, no. nothing, yeah. icing sugar is called something different. It's like confectionery sugar. And I, so I'd go into supermarkets looking for these ingredients. I got the wrong, uh, I wanted baking paper and we got grease free paper and I had to go back out. And it was like... Oh, okay, good. At least you realised before they all stuck to the paper. No, they all stuck. I had to go back out and do them again. <laughs> and one of my friends was like, just go and buy some macarons and like pass them off as your own. And I'm like, I would never do that. That is incredible. How many did you have to make? So it wasn't, so it was like, I don't know, like 400 or something. So it wasn't, I mean, it was okay. I could manage it. But so this might all sound so, very so traditional, but I was out that night and my friend knew someone who worked at the Wall Street Journal and they met me. He was the creative director mm-hmm. of the Wall Street Journal at the time. And he said to me, oh, what are you doing in New York? And I said, oh, I'm here baking macarons for Manola Blahnik. And he said, oh my God, we have to write about it. So I was interviewed for the Wall Street Journal for that. And the first line of the article is, Meredith O'Shaughnessy has a spatula and she's not afraid to use it. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, I think that's the the motto. Have a spatula and don't be afraid to use it. (laughs) Put you in the best stead for the rest of the career. (laughs) Yeah, so... So yeah, so Ulala's gone on to be, you know, it's it's a great it's a great little business. It's I I love it and it brings me such joy and it brings other people such joy and so much joy and they're so beautiful. I don't think I've ever seen anything like them. The ones that you decorated like little Fabergé eggs, incredible. I can't take all the credit anymore. I have to say, so it is the team. I have an incredible group of women who work for me who on Ulala and they are. I really try and give people free reign to bring the best of themselves to to the job and to um I I create time for people to innovate. I kind of support them. I say there's no mistakes. I'm like, come on, let's let's, you know, let's spend Friday afternoons coming up with new ideas, new concepts and I think that in itself is really important. If I ran a business where I'm like, right, okay, we need to like be careful of our margins and and then actually it's just a different thing. It's just like that's how that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in investigating these kind of cool concepts and yeah, and they're they're just like they surprise me all the time. Honestly, I'm so lucky. Like it's not all me. I do have amazing people around me. <laughs> <laughs> but you've put yourself in a position to be surrounded by such amazing people as well. Yeah. Oh, this has been incredible. I've learned so much. Your brain is just so incredible. But it's been so lovely hearing your journey. And I think people will relate a lot with how you started and to see that somebody can put themselves in such an amazing position. Just try, I think, just just try. And I do, you know, I do understand that people have, you know, mortgages or rent to pay and people to support and all of those sorts of things. But even if it's possible, try and just carve out a little bit of time just to investigate those little ideas you have in the back of your mind 
And Meredith Collective, for years, Meredith Collective didn't really make enough money. And I had to live kind of hand to mouth and, you know, scrape together my mortgage payments each month and stuff like that. But, you know, if if it's your passion, then you you can make it work and you can try and just like, just try it out. Because, you know, what is life but an investigation of these things? Profound. What a wonderful way <laughs> to end this. Thank you so much, Meredith. It's been absolutely fascinating oh thank you so much honestly and i'm i'm also equally as proud and interested to see what you get up to because it all brings such joy as i said before so really it's such an honor to be <laughs> on your podcast you. oh, that's thank so you so kind much of you. thank you so much there is just so much to take away i don't even know where to begin i left that interview buzzing with creativity and just a lust for life. So a big thank you for Meredith for sharing her story with us and giving an insight into running your own business, being a CEO, and of course, a wizard. She sure does have a spatula and isn't afraid to use it. (laughs) You can find Meredith on at meredith.global on Instagram, and I'm Liberty on at Baking the Liberty. I'll catch you next time. I'm so excited to be joined next week by Great British Bake Off winner, nuclear engineering researcher, and national treasure, Raul Mundell. And don't forget, if you did enjoy this podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It just helps people know where we are. Until next time, I hope you have a lovely week. You want interesting stories? Hear hilarious tales. A cook in a glory. Wondrous successes and epic fails. Celebrity run-ins. All the gossip and tea. You get it all. She's at your back and call when you're taking the liberty. Yes, you're taking the liberty when you're talking with me. Oh,